Hello and welcome back to the Tez News Podcast. I'm Tez Podcast producer Joshua Morris. It's been a while since I've been on the show, but you've been in the capable hands of Dan Worth, who's been covering for me whilst I've been away. So I am sorry if you've been enjoying having Dan host the show, but of course he'll be on the show in future weeks to talk to me about all things analysis. A little bit later on today's episode, I'll be talking to Gronya Hallahan about the keeping children safe in education changes coming up. But first, I'm joined by reporter Callum Mason. Hi, Callum. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Josh. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. Thanks. It's been a little while, but it's good to uh, it's good to be back and doing this with you. Now, school budgets are always kind of in a delicately held balance, and we often do feature stories about how rising costs or limited budgets affect things like recruitment or or maintaining that kind of broad quality of education across schools. One area that we don't always focus on is school trips, and now, Callum, with rising fuel costs hitting the country, some schools are telling us that school trips are becoming less and less fiscally feasible. And you wrote a story about this, didn't you? Yes, I did. So so yeah, basically, as you say, last week, um, fuel prices reached record highs. But aside from that, they've been at quite high levels for several months now. And as a result of this, a lot of schools are finding that the price of things like coach hire has gone up significantly. The coach sort of association, the trade association for coach providers says that it's quite typical for coach hire costs to have gone up by a quarter, sometimes up to 40% on the levels that schools were seeing before the pandemic. And this is basically making schools and teachers wonder if they can afford certain trips or if they can, they can afford to take, take kids out on, on day trips. Yeah, and of course, uh, an element of this is, not, is that it's not just schools that have to budget for school trips, but often it's parents too. So we're seeing rising fuel costs and obviously energy costs. We're hearing a lot about hit family budgets now as well. And then it's harder for parents to make contributions to those school trips too. And both parents and schools are having to make concessions somewhere. And it looks like school trips could be one of those losses. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. So, so schools obviously organize trips in different ways. Some bigger schools, for example, they might have their own minibuses. Uh, they might have their own buses. But smaller schools particularly are going to probably be relying on coach hire. And how they ask parents to contribute to that is, is going to vary. So some schools will probably try and absorb quite a lot of the costs themselves. But others will also ask parents to contribute, of course. And I think this sort of cost squeeze that we're seeing at the moment we've talked about like a perfect storm for schools and that they're facing a lot of financial pressures. But of course, the biggest story that we're seeing in the news at the moment probably is about how regular everyday consumers are seeing prices go up. We've got energy prices rising for them as well. And inflation's at a really high level. So I think schools are sort of acknowledging that they can't put pressure on parents to to pay large portions of school trip fees upfront and I think they're saying to us that even even when they are asking for parents for sort of contributions to trips, they're trying to give them as much notice as they can and they're trying to be really wary about how high high the costs are in a time that's quite difficult for a lot of people and a lot of families. Yeah, of course. Um if we are going to see kind of school trips fall away, I mean these these school trips are, are really important for children, especially now that they've already missed out on on so much due to the pandemic. What are schools saying about children missing out on those experiences? Yeah, so so some of the teachers that I've spoken to have said there's a massive sort of cultural capital element to this, and that 
they're quite worried that the kids are missing out, as you say. And this comes off the back of two years of school trips not really going ahead altogether. So you'll get a generation of, of kids who have already missed out on quite a lot of, lot of opportunities and they're now going to miss out on even more, which is, is a massive shame, I think. Yeah, of course. And even with these kind of budget constrictions and these, uh, these rising costs, schools are still trying to find ways to tackle this issue to still make these important school trips happen, aren't they? Yeah, so I think what teachers are saying and what schools are saying is that there are ways to adjust. So, for example, if you might have taken taken a school trip out on a on a day trip to your nearest city, for example, if you're a rural school, they'll probably look at a way perhaps that it can be done with with less transport involved. If there's if there's somewhere that can be can be accessed that's closer, or if if maybe even they can walk to it, I think that's an option that they're looking at. But if they are trying to get these these trips to go ahead, there are the Coach Operators Association, which we spoke to, said there is sort of a few things they can look at. I mean, there's the obvious ones like sort of going to different different providers for quotes and things, but would imagine most heads and most schools do this anyway. But other things that they can look at is there's something where you try and contain the cost of a trip in a school day. So, for example, if you organise a transport to, to school and from school for your students, if the coach then arrives, you try and use that same coach and that same provider to take you out on the trip. So you're only booking sort of one coach for the day and it's doing quite a lot of, of work. Another way that schools are looking at sort of combating the price rises is by, if they're doing sort of residential trips, these are obviously quite common, it's a good sort of experience for children, is, is trying to work with other schools so that what happens is when uh, when a trip is booked to go to a residential place, for example, and then it would normally travel back empty after dropping the kids off, you try and liaise with another school so that the coach takes your your busload of children, drops them off at the residential, and then it takes another set of children from another school back. And therefore, between you, the two schools are sort of shouldering the cost together. And I think these sort of like workarounds, they can help a little bit. Obviously, they won't they won't entirely tackle the problem. But I think schools are having to be creative and these are the sorts of things that they're looking at to try and solve the problem. Yeah, some really interesting ideas there. And it's always it's always great to see schools kind of finding a way to make things happen for the uh, for their pupils. Of course, it's a shame that they they have to in this case. As always, that story is available on our website, tes.com forward slash magazine. Callum, thanks for joining me again today. Thanks very much. Thanks, Josh. Next up then, I'm joined by Gwanya Hallahan to go over some of the upcoming changes that are keeping children safe in education guidance. Gwanya, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. So a few months ago on the podcast, we had a look ahead to some of the proposed changes to the keeping children safe in education guidance. That version now has been released and it comes into effect in September 2022. I think you've had a look and you've put together a need to know article, which goes over some of the key points schools will need to be aware of for the coming year. Now, I think I remember one of the interesting points of uh, when we were talking about it before being this idea of a digital background check for new teachers. Is that in the new guidance? Is it going to have potential new teachers scrambling to delete their old uh, Twitter feeds? It certainly did. It made the cut. So um, the majority of the proposals have all they've all been taken on board, and um, the, the this this online check 
It's been slightly changed from what they proposed from being a social media check to just a general online check. I think they must have listened to the um, the feedback from people saying that, you know, it's not just social media and all that kind of thing. It's being recommended that schools should do um, online checks of staff. But like we discussed last time, they've not told schools how they expect this to be done. And, you know, this is really interesting because the police have quite a standard um, check that they do before you like join the police force, for example. Other places have a standard thing. You put somebody's name in and the computer all does it for you. So I anticipate if I was going to be like mystic meg about this, that's probably what schools, if um, the DfE aren't going to come up with their version of what it's going to be, I'm sure schools will come up with, or ed tech companies will come up with their their um, versions of that to make it a bit easier. Because otherwise, the, I mean, we should all take a minute to think of those poor admin assistants and people working on this who do all parts of the onboarding and the recruitment side that takes hours and hours and hours and we don't really even think about Someone is going to have to sit there and physically check the names of each shortlisted candidate. You know, where do you look? How long do you look for? Do you search for keywords? What are the parameters? And, you know, this is something that schools need to make sure is done properly because if you come across anything that doesn't pertain to the suitability of uh, the, the candidate working with children, but could influence your decision over whether or not you should employ them as a protected characteristic, and you, you realise that this person has a disability or is a parent of several children, you know, any of these kind of things that could influence your decision, you could get into to hot water if you start saying, oh, well, no, we're not going to ask them to interview. So one of the things that came up when I was talking to people about this said that the person who does these online checks should be separate to the people that do the shortlistings. Those no. things they find out can't be, can't be part of what influences why they're called to interview. Yeah, I think we definitely talked about that before. Is it is it a requirement that they're they're a separate person? Because I can definitely see like something you see during that background check influencing your decision making. Mm-hmm. There's no requirement. It has we haven't been given any guidance on how these online checks should be conducted. And you know, I think we, we can trust schools to do this right. So, you know, it's I can see why mm. they might not think to put all of that in. However, I do think it's worth bearing that in mind and being mindful about how we go about this and making sure that everything you do is absolutely legal and the right way of doing it. Part of me, I've got like a curious nature and part of me would almost love doing that, that background check job, just seeing everybody's Twitter feed and Facebook feed, having a little search. You'd probably find it really interesting for the first five candidates and then you would just be so bored of reading people's posts about, oh, I'm going to Sainsbury's today. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you're right. So did anything else in particular stand out to you in the changes? Um, so some of the other changes that came in were, weren't expected because they were a response to the Child Q safeguarding review, which happened after the consultation had been done. So we were expecting this to, to pop up in, in keeping children safe in education because, of course, it's such an important case. For those who don't know, the child Q safeguarding case was to do with a young lady, a young a young child who was um, in a school and they suspected that she had drugs on her and she was strip searched at school without her parents being informed. And it was, you know, an awful breach of safeguarding and lessons have to be learned. And part of this is now that in keeping children safe in education, there's a reminder that um, the Schools that need to know about the um, 
requirement for children to have an appropriate adult um, when they're being investigated by the police and if they're being interviewed by the police. And this is, you know, really important. So I think it's it's one of those things that teachers wouldn't necessarily think that they had to know. They would rely on the police to tell them that they need to know this. But as we can see from Child Q, and actually in the Child Q report, they made the um, made the point that 45% of strip searches of children took place with no appropriate adult present. So clearly this isn't just like a one-off, oh, it didn't, didn't go right that time. This is a problem and it, this is one way of addressing it. So teachers are going to have to be reminded of what, what an appropriate adult is and, mm. and what their responsibilities are. And that's the, 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 when you look at this called PACE Code C 2019, catchy title, and reading that <laughs> you'll find out that, you know, the appropriate adult has to support, advise and assist the young person and observe whether the police are acting properly and fairly to respect the young person's rights and entitlements. And if they're not, it's your job to inform an officer of the rank of inspector or above if they consider that, you know, their, their rights aren't being taken into aren't being met. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really important thing and I'm glad to see it in there. Yeah, definitely. And I can see... I can see why people kind of need reminding of that because it's, I think it's very easy to kind of maybe step away to what you see as an authority here when the police come in and perhaps, you know, maybe they're not doing everything that they need to do. Yeah. Like who, who, do you, who would you assume knows the law the best? The police. And so, you know, this is a reminder that as the appropriate adult, we're advocating for the child at all times, like they're safeguarding and they're, they're the most important person. You don't defer to the authority of the police just because they're the police. Mm -hmm. So there's also some stuff in here which is about the the new relationship and sexual health education curriculum as well, isn't there? Yes, so that was interesting. So this was part of the, they, they put that in with the prevent education and we knew that there was going to be a link to um, a government website called Educate Against Hate and we were expecting that to go in there. Um, but they've also put in um, this sort of reference to what the new um, relationship and sex, sexual health education um, is going to cover. And they're saying that this new curriculum, brilliant new curriculum, that's also going to help in the prevent education because it's going to teach children about, you know, and prepare children for life in modern Britain and will create a culture of zero tolerance for sexism, misogyny, homophobia, and, you know, that it will help educate children to stop the radicalization of young people so it's an it's an interesting angle to take i was surprised to see it there but i think it's another reminder that the i think because of covid stopping the um the introduction of the new rshe curriculum it kind of made us not not forget about it but it didn't have quite the big launch that it was expected to have and this is a reminder that yeah we do have this curriculum it's all coming to force now and this is meant to be meant to be helping yeah, they just want to point towards it again and say, look, this is something that's coming in and it's going to help also address some of these issues. Um, and finally as well, I think there were some new resources included, which you've included links to as well in, in your article. So if there's anybody out there who's, uh, who's listening to this now and they want to get some more information, as always, this article's on our website, tes.com forward slash magazine. So you can go there, read the whole article, you cover all of the points you need to know from uh, from these new changes and also again some links to those resources as well 
Yeah, thank you for joining me today, Grania. Thank you for talking to me.